So in this episode of the first 50 pages, Jen and I get to hop across the pond and talk with author Erin Young about her debut thriller, The Fields. Erin Young is a pseudonym of acclaimed historical novelist Robin Young, author of eight internationally best-selling novels. She's been published in 19 languages in 22 countries and has sold 2 million books worldwide. She lives and writes in Brighton, England. Welcome to the first 50 pages, Erin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So my colleagues and our patrons could tell you that I've been a kind of a broken record in how hard I've been pushing them to read the fields. (laughs) I absolutely loved it. It's so well written, had plot twists I didn't expect, and is a perfectly dark and like grisly piece of crime fiction. I never would have guessed that it is your, you know, first foray into the genre. You know, what inspired you to change things up and make the switch from historical fiction to police procedural? Yeah, I mean, it was it was quite a leap. Um, and, and thank you. I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. For me, the idea just completely came out of the blue one morning five years ago. Um, and I was reading a news article um, in a UK newspaper. Um, and it was actually, it wasn't talking about Iowa or even the US, it was talking about um, corn production specifically in Northern Europe and some of the really sort of unsettling kind of things that were happening around over farming and some of the dangers of big agriculture. Um, and it was a really kind of weird and disturbing sort of article. And I just had this what if moment after I'd finished reading it and, and thought about it in terms of a, of a potential police procedural sort of political thriller. And it was really just a kind of lightning bolt moment. I was still writing historical fiction at the time. I was halfway through um, what ha- what was my last historical novel then. Um, so there was nothing I could sort of do about it, but it just kind of, the idea kind of stayed and stewed in my head. And I ended up speaking to my editor in the UK about it and he really loved the idea. Um, and it sort of just snowballed from there, really. I think as all good ideas do, right? Like lightning bolt moment. And then you just mm-hmm. kind of get so obsessed that you're like, okay, we've got to put everything else on the back burner and just jump right in. So yeah. uh, for those who might have somehow escaped me nudging them <laughs> to read the book, do you mind sharing a bit on what it's about? We've kind of touched on it a little bit, but. Sure. Yeah. So um, The Fields follows uh, Riley Fisher, who is newly promoted as sergeant at the Blackhawk County Sheriff's Office. Um, she's relatively young for the position. She's 35 Um, But her grandfather was the former sheriff there. Um, And of course, that sort of engenders a little bit of a sense, particularly among some of her male colleagues, that maybe she just got this role because of her grandfather's reputation. Um, So she's sort of, as we open the novel, she's already dealing with some difficulties in this new role with some of her colleagues. Um, And she's called to a body, a body of a young woman that's just been found in nearby cornfields, not far from where she herself lives in Cedar Falls. Um, And when she gets to the scene, what is already a horrific murder scene becomes somewhat more shocking for Riley when she discovers that the victim is somebody that she used to know from her childhood. In fact, one of her best friends at school. 
uh, from quite a sort of dark and traumatic time in her childhood that she thought she had really, you know, managed to leave behind and run away from. But it, it turns out that um, no, and that's going to follow her and overshadow her through this novel. So you probably are aware that we are based in Iowa, right? <laughs> so um, I grew up in Iowa. Um, although your story, your setting takes place on what we would refer to as the East Coast of Iowa. <laughs> and um, Kelsey and I are on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, from the abandoned and rundown warehouse warehouses of downtown Waterloo to the old family farms off rural highways, we really are, as readers, transported to Blackhawk County, Iowa. And I guess that many of the listeners um, have traveled the same roads you mentioned and might be familiar with the farming struggles that your characters Mm -hmm. face. Your setting really is very atmospheric and well done. And, you know, one of the things I think you really... So it surprised me that you were from the UK, um, Mm -hmm. that you didn't, to my, um, what what I've looked up, have any ties to Iowa before writing this story. Um, But you really kind of get the... Um, what kind of corn is to the state, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's economy, but you go from, you know, there's this always sort of this ominous thing about cornfields, which the cover of your book really, really like, mm. puts that home yeah. for fo- puts that home for folks. Yeah, I don't like to walk through cornfields myself. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I also didn't grow up on a family farm. If you grow up in that, it's not quite as ominous to you. It's like, mm-hmm. you know. But then also, you know, there's a scene where um, there's, you know, teenagers that are kind of having a party mm-hmm. out by the cornfields. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think you really, you do a great job in the setting of understanding kind of what that's all about. So, I, you know, I have to ask, what made you decide to set the story in Iowa? Mm. Yes, well, I'm, I'm glad you, <laughs> I mean, I'm pleased that anyone likes it, let alone that anyone in America and especially anyone in Iowa enjoys it, because obviously it is, you know, it is quite a tall order to to set a book somewhere that, as you say, I, I had no previous ties to Iowa whatsoever. Um, I mean, I probably would have struggled, to be honest, a little bit to point it out on a blank map of America. Um, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> kind of in the middle, you know. <laughs> Somewhere in the middle. Yeah, there's definitely corn. I mean, that's that's all I could have told you a couple of years ago. Um, I, I mean, the reason I set it there was a very simple one, which was, as I said, the article that um, kind of gave me the inspiration for the whole plot was specifically around big ag and corn production in particular. And so all I did was when I was thinking, well, where on earth am I going to set this bizarre novel? Um, And I just Googled world's biggest corn producer, the US, and biggest producer in the US is Iowa. So that for me, I mean, it just kind of naturally bounced into that as the setting. 
And then I started doing my research. And the more that I did my research on Iowa, the more I thought, yeah, this is this is definitely going to work for what I imagine this story to be. Um, but to be honest, it wasn't until I actually went to Iowa. Um, so I'd done a lot of the research. I've done quite a bit of the plotting. Um, and then I, when my um, UK publishers gave me the green light and said, yeah, we'll, we'll support this. We'll, we'd like to publish this book. Um, I booked a trip uh, to Iowa and spent a couple of weeks in August 2018 just traveling all over the state. I went to, I was, I think, pretty much every single location in the book, including the where you're talking about the kids, the teenagers having a party in the yeah. sort of like yep. scrapyard. I was even in places like that, <laughs> um, walking through cornfields, the state fair, the state capital, Des Moines, Blackhawk County, Okaboji, everywhere just so I could kind of soak up the entire place, the atmosphere, talk to people, eat, you know, eat my first corn dog. <laughs> um, and um, for me, that's when the whole thing just gelled and it was, you know, just perfect. And I loved the setting. I loved traveling in Iowa. It was um, a really amazing experience on lots of different levels. And um, so, yeah, it just, it ended up being one of those wonderful things where, to be honest, I, I had no idea whether this was all going to work out really when I stepped on the plane and until it touched down in the middle of a really violent thunderstorm in Des Moines <laughs> and scared the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah, we'll then, get you know, I just didn't know. So, yeah, it was a kind of perfect moment, really. Well, I'm glad that all the pieces kind of clicked together for you as soon as you landed here and had a visit. Um, so mm-hmm. in prepping for this interview, I read the Cedar Falls Courier article on your book mm-hmm. where, you know, it kind of went more in depth on your research trip and kind of went into all the details of that you visited the state fair and, you know, all of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's some intense dedication to your craft. I don't know that I would be willing to be like, let me go on this super huge flight, long trip to, you know, but I think it, you know, kind of then gave that real like authentic feeling about like, I know how, like what corn means to Iowa. I know what all of this you know kind of means to the book which I think you know really really made it kind of like the setting and the characters and all of that really come alive for me as a reader and you know I am an Iowa transplant so I can't claim like Jen that I've lived here my whole life but Midwest but not quite the same farming level Um, how do you think your visit here really you know impacted the way you were able to bring the story to life once those puzzle pieces clicked um, I think it was probably some of the I some of the landscape, some of the atmosphere. I mean, I mean, you know, it's all very well looking at pictures on a computer screen of Iowa, and yes, seeing the endless undulating fields of corn and imagining that. But until you're in the corn, or, or certainly walking around it, and the heat of it, and how tall it gets, and the bugs for me, particularly at sunset, all the you know the singing of all the different bugs and you know, and the book is set in August when I went. And so, you know, the kind of su- occasionally sort of suffocating atmosphere of it, the heat was quite sapping at times. And, you know, the, I mean, I went through probably other than not just the storm I landed in on, but, um, you know, we had tornado warnings when we were there and all of the locals were clearly, you know, pretty blasé about the whole thing. And there was me and my partner thinking, do we need to get in a basement? Should we hide yeah. under a table? What happens? <laughs> so, you know, it was just kind of getting that sense of what's normal for people there and then trying to 
recreate that on the page, all the, the smells and the senses. And, and, and especially at the time when I was writing it and when I was there doing the research, I, I didn't know that I would even get it published in the States. So I suppose in my mind, as I was initially writing it, um, I had a UK specific audience in mind, many of whom just will not have been to Iowa. Um, and so I really felt that I needed not only to do justice to the place and create something real and authentic, but also really try and bring it to life for a readership that have like me, like I had no prior experience of this place. That's a really interesting point that you bring up that, you know, I guess I forget that like not automatically do all books get published everywhere. You know, that sometimes Mm. you have a specific audience in mind or, you know, you might be like, this might only make it to the UK market and not the US, but I'm happy that it made it. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Very happy. (laughs) So I think like a a lot of places, you know, in Iowa, there is the juxtaposition of the rural and the urban areas, which Mm. you kind of, you know, dabble in throughout the story. Um, You know, we are in an urban city um, surrounded by rural communities. And I grew Mm -hmm. up in a more rural area, but I'm kind of, one of the things that struck me about your book was this idea of big agriculture, um, Mm -hmm. you know, versus family farms, because, you know, it's, it's not something that I have paid a lot of attention two in my life and I think I I sort of made me pause and think why not you know here I live mm. in this community or you know this state this place where there's you know obviously been ramifications and you know not just in our local communities but you know um, on a global scale mm-hmm. and so it was very eye-opening and one of the things that struck me in the book you talk about um, a little bit about, you know, what big agriculture is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned, th- this really struck me. You know, one of the characters says it's too powerful to challenge and too big to fail. Mm-hmm. So can we talk a little bit about your research into um, big agriculture versus family farms and what drew you to that story yeah it's I mean it is a fascinating subject and and initially it really was just this one article that that was talking about it more globally it wasn't you know it wasn't about the U.S. at all even it was about northern Europe and over farming and we've got that everywhere really Um, there are even some sort of interesting schools of thought around um, the pandemic in the sense that um if you know if if the coronavirus did come out of say the wet markets in china that one of the reasons that those thrive and that have um all of these exotic animals that can carry um viruses with them um is that farmers there rural farmers have been so pushed to the margins by big agriculture in china um that instead of you know, farming in the fields, they're more hunting in places for, you know, to to bring bats and snakes and things to market. So, you know, I read even in the midst of the pandemic, I was reading about how our shift from the rural or from, you know, local husbandry and knowledge to, you know, mass farms and factory farms and, you know, 
overworking the soil to a point where not only, you know, use of pesticides and, and whatever, but, you know, that the birds aren't coming to eat um, the bugs anymore because there aren't any bugs because the soil has been so leached of them. I, um, I've got a friend who spent a, quite a, um, a long time with another friend of hers in Lincolnshire in, in the UK, which is a very, um, very much a farming area here. Um, and we spent time on his organic farm and he was amazed that after a couple of years of turning it over um, to to organic that, you know, the birds were back and the bugs were back and it had really changed everything about it. So, as you know, I've always been kind of interested in in those sorts of landscapes and kind of, uh, you know, impact on them, which is obviously huge the world over. Um and, you know, in here in the UK and I, I know particularly in the US, um, you know, big, big agriculture does have all of the power really at its fingertips. And, and I was really struck at the state fair at speaking to local farmers um, and, you know, meeting people who have their prize winning pigs and, um, you know, grow their own apples and make their own wine at how much pride there was in that and in the land but also how difficult that was for a lot of people when you don't necessarily get the you certainly don't get the political clout that any of the big anything's big ag big pharma big tech all of them that they obviously get and lobbyists and you know it's sort of like kind of trying to run a, a tidal wave or something i guess in a way um so it was all of those different things kind of came to play through the book and I just you know I speaking to people there um and then also just reading a lot of articles on the impact on on family farms um really just you know watching YouTube videos of farmers talking about it I mean that was mostly my research was just kind of reading farmers own words about it um and it just you know it's it's just this big issue that we all have especially you know where climate change is impacting things and making it harder to grow certain crops and so then you know you're into the sort of gm side of things and you know the the links with the us and china and the sort of push pull of you know wanting to sell corn and, and needing corn to feed their you know burgeoning livestock that they've got there because more of their middle classes are now eating meat and it's and particularly the symbiotic relationship with Iowa and China I was really interested in that when I discovered when I discovered that I had no idea um, that there were such close links and so it was all it was just a lot of I guess um, feeling fairly um, inspired and also just kind of interested in the whole dynamic that there is with you know with us and our food chain and what we do about it and it, yeah so so just lots of lots of reading lots of research it was really um you know interesting to kind of you know like to explore to think about you know who controls the trademarks who sets mm -hmm. the prices for consumers mm -hmm. and wages in the industry and mm -hmm are we complicit in mm. expanding big ag you know that there were interesting things that um you know the book is a thriller right yeah. it is but this background kind of um issues that you know 
you bring to the story um, and the setting were really interesting to me. Mm, thank you. So I think, you know, like how kind of Jen was going off of, you know, like there's all of this like context and background. So you're like, you know, deeply invested in that. And then I'm also at the same time trying to figure out like, okay, like who murdered her? Like what's going on? Like now we have more bodies. Like, okay, I'm trying to solve the case, but I'm still invested in learning all this stuff about like all the big ag and farming that I was like, okay, all right, my brain's going to explode, but we're going to keep going. It's great. (laughs) It's all right. We'll we'll just, just keep going. Uh, So this first and this first installment in the series deals with, you know, such timely topics like we've talked about that, you know, both inform and give so much context to the investigation and really the story as a whole. You know, is it a goal of yours to continue that trend in the future installments of the Riley Fisher series? Yeah, I I think so. I mean, you know, as I said at the time, it was just going to be a a UK book that that's all I knew. And also all I knew was that it was going to be one book, um, which is always kind of an interesting thing when you start a new career, which even though, you know, I've been published since 2005 writing historical fiction, this, you know, it's it's a new name, it's a whole new genre. Um, and it's kind of like, well, it feels to me, and I think probably my publishers, even here in the UK, it feels like starting again. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I wrote that book with a sense, well, let's almost, you know, let's see how this goes. And it just turned out that after I'd finished my American agent, who I have been with for quite a long time as well, um, was, you know, really excited about it. I mean, he's always loved my historical novels and he's been a huge supporter of mine over the years, but it is much harder to sell historical fiction in the US um, and particularly the sorts of subjects that I was writing. Um, and so, you know, when when he got this, he was just, you know, <laughs> overjoyed at the prospect and, and very much excited to to sell it to a US publisher. Um, and one of the things he said to me first off when we, you know, when I had a good bit of the book together, he said, well, um, you know, American publishers are going to want to know that there's more than just one of these in you. And so, you know, even while I was writing this one, I had sort of one one eye on, but there might need to be another one and one eye on, but there might only be one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's this, you know, closing down the story at the end of it, but leaving enough that obviously it can become a series. And um, when he went out to market with it in the US, um, very much, you know, it was two books, definitely. Um, And and Flatiron um, were, you know, just really so enthusiastic and they've been such supporters. And, um, And so they very much saw it as a series. And so I had to kind of, you know, be, it's it's often a tall order, really, as a novelist, because you're never quite sure, really, where your career is going to go. I mean, to be honest with you, you're only as as you know, good or well, not good, but successful as your last book sale. So it's a very competitive industry. So you never quite know um, sort of what's coming next, but you have to plan for that possibility. So, you know, the moment that we got the the deal in the US, and I knew that it was two books, it was kind of clear to me that I wanted to um, keep Riley, my main character, sort of in this kind of interesting world. I mean, my, my I suppose my USP would be something like um, 
weird cases in interesting places or something. <laughs> um, I like that description. And, <laughs> and, and so, yeah, so um, I've just about finished. I'm, I'm just weeks away from handing in book two, um, which I can tell you is still set in Iowa. Um, it's more set in Des Moines. Um, and it's winter, so it's obviously Ooh. a very, very different feel to um, to, to the fields. And I, I can't tell you much more. It's still it's it's still very timely, um, but it's not big ag this time. It's something else. So <laughs> so that's coming next year, I think. Nice. I can't so wait. <laughs> I want to just backtrack just a minute, and let's talk about Sergeant Riley Fisher, um, mm-hmm. your first female protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she is in a, you know, a, the challenging arena of law enforcement um, mm. where it can, you know, acceptance is probably more of a struggle to come by than we think it should be, right? Mm-hmm. In this traditionally male-dominated profession. And Riley is a multi-layered, she's strong, but still flawed character. We're all flawed characters, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you tell us a little more about Riley? Yeah, so um, she just sort of kind of wrote herself. I, I had to search for her on the page. She wasn't immediate. I mean, some characters just turn up and they just know themselves and they just announce themselves. I mean, her... Um, her former sort of partner on patrol, um, who's now um, one of becomes one of her deputies, Logan Wood. Um, he just he just turned up and he knew exactly who he was, um, and he was actually a joy to write. And I, I think he's quite nice as a sort of more light character against the more dark backdrop of, of Riley's past, which sort of overshadows her through the novel. Um, but Riley was just, she kind of just came very tentatively through through my writing of her. And then she just got stronger and stronger. And I just sort of started to see, you know, the what, you know, how the how the novel opens, I think you can tell that there's things wrong in the family. Certainly the dynamics are all off. Um, but you know, I think because especially because she has to not only live up to her grandfather's pretty formidable reputation and, and in the novel he's now in a old folks home and he's suffering with dementia and he's to all intents and purposes gone um and so she's living up to this man's reputation but also as you say she's very much struggling in this male-dominated environment um which actually i, I was I was surprised about, so I not only did I have to do a huge amount of research into big ag, I had to do huge amounts of research into US law enforcement and practices and procedures and training and everything. Cause we've got pretty much every, everyone in, in this novel, we've got sheriffs, we've got police, FBI, behavioral analysis unit from Quantico. It's, it's kind of a, it's a big lot of, of people on this one bit of jurisdiction. Um, and 
you know, UK law enforcement is, I mean, to be honest, I don't know much about that either, but I do know it's a hell of a lot simpler than (laughs) US law enforcement. I I, I mean, the amount of reading I had to do to just get my head around who would be at what scene and what would they be doing was was quite something. So, but in the course of doing a lot of that reading, um, I mean, some of it was sort of, you know, kind of more textbook stuff, but I read some um, autobiographies from female agents, uh, FBI agents and uh, police. And I was actually, and they've really recently published like in the last few years. And I really was quite surprised by how much misogyny they still get in the force. There's been a lot that's come out in the UK recently as well about particularly the Met Police, um, so London basically. Um, And you can really see that actually it it just hasn't quite changed as much as you might think that it has. And so even though the book isn't about that, I did really want to um, show the areas where Riley might really come under pressure. And I really thought, well, at least, you know, at least one of her male colleagues is going to be that sort of type um, who just thinks that she's part of some diversity quota. She's just a tick in a box. Um, and he's going to try and undermine her at every turn. So I sort of wanted, you know, this this youngish, um, but pretty cool, calm and collected on the surface young woman to be uh, be leading us through the story. But then I very much wanted to show where whether all of the different cracks from her family, from her past, from the fact that the first victim is an old friend, and then also with the dynamics in the department, I just wanted to show all the many areas where, you know, this this kind of maybe what looks like a fairly pristine vase on the outside starts to crack over time. Um, I don't read a lot of thrillers myself, um, partly because I have a hard time slowing down to like enjoy the story. I'm too busy trying to figure out what happens. <laughs> um, so it's, it becomes more work for me sometimes to read a thriller. Uh, but from this book, that was still very fast paced. I'm still you know, flipping the pages, trying to get through. I did really, I did also listen to the audiobook version, which I found oh, a bit more calming for me because the narrator does such a great job of pacing mm-hmm. through the story that I couldn't read faster (laughs) I couldn't read faster I had to you know stay at a pace and that created the tension and the suspense for me and that was really um, it was was great for me in reading this book but going kind of back to Riley this story did give me an appreciation for what um, law enforcement experiences and really the trauma that can come from that because you do not sanitize the, the some of the grisly scenes that they encounter. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it also really made me think about, um, you know, this idea of murder versus monstrosity. You know, there there is a difference. Mm-hmm. You, you point that out at one point in the story, you know, that there are some acts of violence that lack all humanity and Mm -hmm. you know that these law enforcement agents have to be witness to that and how do they compartmentalize it and just you know go to the fourth of july barbecue in the middle of dealing with these cases it um 
it was an interesting thought process for me to kind of work through in the story. I mean, I, I think I, I mean, having written historical fiction for years, I was always really, really keen to get the details right and to be able to bring to the page a sense of authenticity and, and you know, what, what it really would have been like walking through you know, the streets of medieval London or being on a battlefield in Scotland. Um, and I, you know, I, I really delved down as deep as I could into all of those worlds and, and really tried to bring them to life so that people would really get a sense of it through, you know, through smell, which often is a hor- horrible thing, writing historical fiction. <laughs> um, but also in in crime fiction, I, I put that same um, sort of, I, I looked at it in a very similar way. And I, and I have to say, I was I was kind of surprised some of the early reviews were, you know, people not even being able to sort of finish it because they thought that it was too grisly or too graphic. Um, and, and that surprised me because, um, you know, the, even though the the bodies when we find them are in a, a terrible state, it's it's nature often, I mean, it's not just nature that's done that to them, but it, but it has, I really wanted, I, you know, I needed to know what a dead body would look like after three days in a cornfield in hundred degree heat. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I did some horrible research into that and my, um, my um, web history is probably on all kinds of different watch lists. Now <laughs> <laughs> but um, like working but yeah, I, I really wanted to, you know, cause I, I mean, I worked out what bodies smell like at these different stages, and I, I wanted to bring that to the to the fore. And I and I have spoken to police over the years and um, detectives, partly just from having known some personally, um, but also in this case, I had um, I was put in touch with a retired detective um, over in California by a friend of mine, and he was um, really helpful in just answering some of my questions about that and. And yeah, just really wanted to, yeah, exactly that. Bring that sense of what these people have to go through and and how do they compartmentalize and can they, and where does that, you know, leak out in other areas in their personal lives? And I'm quite fascinated by that as well and what we sort of expect from these people. Um, And yeah, so I, I didn't, I just didn't want to shy away from it. So you know, I, I think grisly, dark, graphic are all different ways that it's been described so far. So, yeah, I think if you're squeamish, then maybe it's maybe, maybe it's just skip those pages. <laughs> you can yeah, read maybe. faster. Yeah, yeah just but, yeah. <laughs> but it did make me think about you know the idea that we we do sanitize that we death and we don't experience you know like you said what it is we don't know and so it mm. did. I think the story would have not been as powerful in some mm. ways if you didn't share that, you know, because we, we had, I think we had to know what, you know, Riley is experiencing and, mm. and going through to you know really mm. understand her character. And so, yeah. yeah, I think it creates a deeper sense of empathy that it's not just like, Oh, there's another murder and now we need to solve the case. Mm. Like you really kind of get, into it and mm-hmm. feel it and experience it and it's like you get a more visceral reaction like as a yeah. reader that i'm like oh all right not mm. gonna eat for a while 
That's all right. Yeah, I even like... put myself up eating for, for bits after writing a couple of those scenes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have heard some rumors about the fields being developed into a TV series. Is there any information you can share with us about that? Um, yes. I, I mean, I, ca- I can't share anything except that i think um, <laughs> we had to try to throw the question in there yeah. we're like we're probably not gonna she's probably not gonna be able to tell us a lot but I, stay I tuned any right? day now any day i think there will be an announcement but it's just out of my hands all that all that sort of thing except that i can't talk about it <laughs> except to say that yes it it's been optioned for for tv but i, I can't say any more than that at the moment right. well we'll keep an eye out for the for the announcement so there, yes. I don't know, you know, in your visit to Iowa, first of all, if you come back to experience Iowa again, we have to extend the invitation to visit the West Coast <laughs> of the state. Have to come, uh, yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, we'll be, we can be tour guides for yes. you yes. if you can visit. <laughs> um, you know, and we are librarians. We work in libraries. And I'm not sure if you're aware, there is something called the All Iowa Reads and so I just want to make a public announcement. I think we should nominate this book for yeah, the whole I think Iowa be awesome. Reads. Yeah. So oh, it's well, a book where it's a program where. Yeah, like the Iowa Center of, for the Book puts it together. Yeah. Then people all mm-hmm. across the state, and it has to be kind of locally focused. Um, but I think there's so many interesting issues and, um, you know, just the atmospheric um, nature of the story. Yeah, you know, as our former book place. club leader, I'm like, there's so many different things we yeah. could unpack that I'm like so. mentally putting together like discussion questions of like, all I would read. Oh, pay attention. thank you. That sounds amazing. Thank yeah, you. So I, I, if I had, I don't have the power, but I have the suggestion. Yeah. Right? I can make the suggestion. Exactly. So. We can try to put it in the right people's ears. Be like, hey, do you read this book yet? Yeah. Yeah. Do it for all I would read. But of course, before we let you go, this is kind of a question that we end with in each interview. We've got to ask, what are you reading now? Oh, I'm, I'm going through books at a rate of knots at the moment. Um, and I've pretty much read three in the last, well, I'm, I've just started a new one this morning, which I'm loving, which is um, a book called Reputation by a British author called Sarah Vaughan. Um, and she's actually just her um, her novel before this which I haven't read called Anatomy of a Scandal has just been made into a Netflix oh, series yeah. um, this, so this one's called Reputation and it's about um, uh, a British politician um, a female politician and um, it's all very topical and timely and again it's you know looking into a world where women often come up against very specifically um, difficult challenges um, because there are women in a position of power. So, um, and it just opened it this morning, and I'm, I'm kind of desperate to get back to it. So, <laughs> that's a that's definitely a, a good one. And I've just finished um, oh, A Flicker in the Dark by Stacey oh, Willingham, oh, yeah, which I also loved. Yeah, just one of those ones that you can just get through in pretty much two days. It's it's that kind of page turning yeah we haven't been able to keep that one on the shelf at the library i think through word of mouth yeah. and just all the reviews and buzz around it yeah it's done so well well we should probably let you get back to finishing <laughs> the second book in the riley fisher series <laughs> yes, we... like i could just hear all my editors cheering at that moment yes <laughs> yes, yes let's go like, back she's yes. <laughs> got to finish <laughs> well we so appreciate your time today Aaron. it has been a pleasure to talk with you 
Um, we, Kelsey and I both, loved The Fields. Mm-hmm. We hope other people will read it, check it out, talk about it, be aware of Big Ag and <laughs> all of these things um, that you, you bring to light in the story. Um, so thank you for joining us on the first 50 pages, Aaron. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.